1: Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is where you find me on the web, and Clark.com slash ask is where you ask me questions. But we got more than that going on in the question department. You can talk with a member of Team Clark. That's a free service we offer at Clark.com. You move... Down the front screen, you'll see how to get free off-the-air advice nine hours a day, Monday to Friday. Coming up in 20 minutes, I want to talk to you about a loan opportunity that is growing around the country that I think is far more hazard than opportunity. That's why it's today's Clark Rage. And then coming up in a half hour, Have you seen the pictures of the workers at Lowe's, the home improvement place, that the workers now might be part man, part machine, or part woman, part machine? Wow. Let me tell you what's up with that. I want to talk about a machine many people can get frustrated by, your car, truck, SUV, van, whatever when it breaks down. You know, this is a crazy thing going on today is that vehicles are absolutely amazingly reliable. It's really a shocker unless you get a specific lemon how much more reliable vehicles are. And I want to take you back in time. I've been on the air 30 years and I used to get constant calls from people who had cars that were lemons and they would call and they'd ask me about how to use the lemon law what procedures to follow and all the rest do you know we barely get a lemon law call a year now and i mean it was a constant but that's how much better vehicles are made now the problem is is when they do break there's such a severe shortage of qualified auto mechanics that when it does come to the point you need to have a vehicle repaired it's very hard to find somebody who well really knows what he or she's doing and I want to talk to you how you find that person. A lot of times if if you're out of warranty on your vehicle You will often best be served with a shop that specializes in your make. All over America with the foreign brands, and it's funny you call them foreign brands because so many of them make the overwhelming number of their cars that they sell here in the United States, they're foreign-owned brands, but people starting in the 1980s, started opening shops that only did a particular brand. A Honda shop, a Toyota shop, a BMW shop, a Mercedes shop, whatever brand shop, except these don't seem to be prominent for GM, Ford, and Chrysler products. But the advantage of it, is that you have a place where generally it's a smaller shop where you actually get to talk to the mechanic, himself or herself, that'll be working on your car if you need to, where you can't do that at traditional dealers. You're dealing with a commission service writer at a traditional dealer. And because they only work on that one brand, people's level of expertise steadily rises. And now today, with all the reviews that people post online, you'll get a real sense of when a shop is one that's really pleased people, an independent has. So this, in my mind, is how you overcome the severe shortage of auto mechanics. And by the way, if you are someone who likes tinkering with cars you're young or you're at a point in your life you're willing to try something else learning to be a mechanic could be a great opportunity because wage rates in that business are going up and up and up kathleen you have a question about your quizzle score a lot of people don't know what a quizzle score is educate them if you could
2: well according to well clark first thank you for taking my phone call certainly are a icon in our house and always listen to you and pull a credit report every four months from the different various uh, credit bureaus. And I like getting the free credit score. So Quizzle actually offers the cre- free credit score. But apparently it doesn't update. The last update it has is from December of 2014. And when I pulled it, it gave me a credit score of 731. But when I pulled my credit report and I paid for, they gave me a discount on getting um, my credit score from the big three, it was over 789 on all three of them. Why is there such a big difference?
1: Well, there is no one credit score. They all use different methodology and they draw in different databases. The Quizzle score is something I used to talk about. Gosh, I don't think I've talked about it in years Because it's not as available to you like the one you may have heard me talk about with Credit Karma, K R M A. Have you heard me mention that one?
3: I have heard
2: Credit Karma. um... They
1: give you two free scores whenever you want them.
2: Okay, no, I haven't tried them. It would
1: be good to register for that, and then you have continuous access to two of your scores. But the scores move around a fair amount, and depending on the database they're drawing on and the methodology they use, The scores could vary a fair amount, but that's a lot of variation.
2: That is a lot of variation. So
1: have you paid down a lot of debt since the end of last year?
2: No, huh? Nothing's changed. Absolutely nothing has changed.
1: So the thing with credit scores and credit reports is they all think they're playing horseshoes. You know, where they say close enough is good enough? Yeah. And your Quizzle score, it comes in their A category, does it not?
2: Mine does, yeah.
1: Yeah. Or I don't know. Uh, yeah, mine, I'm an excellent. Yeah, so I, so they probably have you on the A scale. It's just a matter of how high up on the A scale you are. You know, if, if you had one that was saying that you were subprime and the others were saying you were in great shape, then I would be more worried about it. But because it's just you have a, you have a great credit score on Quizzle and you have a beyond excellent score otherwise, you're in great shape. But I would do the Credit Karma registration so that without paying anything, you're able to keep a pulse on how you're doing with credit and what things you could do that might raise that score. So you're in perfect shape. Don't fret. But if you want to follow, CreditKarma.com. Sue is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Sue, you're having a terrible problem with theft very close to home. I'm very sorry.
3: Thank you. Yes, we are.
1: How are you doing, Sue?
3: Doing well. I just I thought I'd give you a call and ask your suggestion on this situation to see what you had to say about it.
1: Let me hear, because this sounds like a very hurtful situation.
3: Well, it is. It is. Um, we have a, an adult child who we haven't, unfortunately, been in touch with for about six months. We've reached out, but the, um, our son is not reciprocated. Um, Unfortunately, when he left, he took an an old junker car that that we use. Um, It's it's in our name. Um, We hold the insurance and taxes and um, title and everything. Um, But we, I mean, he basically took it. We don't really want to go to the police or anything like that, so that's not part of my question. My question is, we're... um, I know that the inspection's due soon. Um, Again, we're paying the taxes and the insurance on it. We do have it covered. Um, I just want to know, is there any way for us to get out of this situation? Uh, Do you you
1: have any advice for us? All right, so this is one of those things as a parent. You are so between a rock and a hard place. Yes. Because you remain liable for the actions of your son with that vehicle. Mm -hmm. You remain responsible and... The real answer is the one that you already told me you are not comfortable doing, which is if he has essentially, and I hate to say it, but he has, he's disappeared, he's stolen your car. Yes. And Mm -hmm. so you not wanting your son to have legal entanglements, and it's easy for me to say because I'm not the dad of your son. (laughs) but. I think you need to think long and hard about whether it would make sense for you to file a report with the police.
3: Yeah, we we've really talked through that and decided that's not what we want to do. And again, the car—honestly, the value of the car is about five hundred dollars, so it's well. It's not—it's
1: not the value of the car. It's if it's used in a way that somebody yeah. gets hurt right. or anything right. like that.
3: Right. You and have. We a, actually purchased an umbrella policy just to cover ourselves. Um, just because it seemed like the right thing to do. It seemed like the right thing to do at our point in our lives anyway. That's a smart thing
1: to do if you have yeah. significant assets. So is there any family member with whom your son still communicates? Not at all. I, I am so sorry. You, you sound so upbeat in a situation where I would assume your heart's been
3: really hurting. Oh, it, it has, and there's forgiveness that, that I haven't worked through. But it's between him and God at this point, and that's just the way I, I have to look at it. So have that you, brings, me, brings me joy and peace.
1: <laughs> have you have way. you had any counseling about this?
3: We haven't. Mm-mm.
1: I would yeah. I would encourage you to do that because this is this is something that that your ob- that there'd be obvious pain inside that mm-hmm. that your son would be up to whatever. I don't know which way to tell you to go other than what you've done. You've tried to protect your financial risk by mm-hmm. having coverage on it, having the umbrella policy. And when the car no longer is valid, has a valid registration, then it becomes a different situation because he'll mm-hmm. be driving around with expired plates right. and he could be stopped by the police just for that you don't know what comes from that and i would say at the point that the that the plates expire i would consider calling your insurer and just telling them what's going on mm, okay because failure to disclose information to an insurer can lead them to say oh well you know you bought this policy under false pretenses you didn't advise us what's going on I think when that time comes that would be like the that's like the deadline.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Is okay. is your uh son active on social media at all that
3: No. Nope.
1: Okay. Wow, I, I wish I had more to give you here because <laughs> because you've been yeah. through this. You said for six months now?
3: Yes, actually a little bit more. Mm-hmm.
1: I am so, so yeah. sorry. Well, thank you. We are, too. Are there We're any two. old friends of your son who you might be able to reach out to who might have some way of contacting him?
3: I Well, I've actually tried to contact him several ways, and I'm pretty certain he's received the messages, but it's just choosing, choosing not to be a part of our lives, so okay. um, I'm not sure, and I don't believe he's in touch with his old friends at all. I have the feeling he's not.
1: Okay. So. All right. Yep. Well, my strongest advice then is when when it's time for tag renewal, mm-hmm. that's when you've got to do something.
3: Okay. Okay. Well and that's coming up soon. So this was a timely phone call. Thank you.
1: All right, and I wish you the best.
3: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate your advice and your show and as do millions of other folks, so thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something that there may be an occasional person. That this would be the right thing for, but there's so few and far between that I need to give you a special warning.
4: Scams, ripoffs, outrages.
1: It's a Clark Regis moment. Shared equity in your home. It's something that pops up from time to time, but now, Around the country, there are individuals or even small organizations that will say, hey, you need some cash? No problem. You don't even have to pay us back the cash. You give up a certain amount of equity in your home, we'll give you money. So somebody might say, we're going to take a 20% stake in your home and we'll give you today the current value of your home, one fifth of the current value of your home, minus a service fee, it might be 5% of what you're getting or whatever. And so you're like, wow, this is great. I don't have to take out a home equity line for what I need to do. I can just give up part of the value of my home to somebody and I have cash that's mine to keep, except it's not really how it works. Generally, in these deals, the clock starts ticking from the minute they lend you the money, because that's really what they're doing. They're creating an obligation for you. They now own 10%, 20%, 25% of your home or whatever, and the way they make their money back is you are forced by a date certain, could be three years from now, five years from now, whatever, that you got to sell your home so they can cash out. They're relying on the fact that you paid them a fee up front and that over time that houses appreciate. You're responsible for all the expenses of the house even though you don't own 100% of it. And if you don't get the house sold in time, You can end up having them take the house from you and getting all the rest of your equity because of the way the notes can be stacked against you. Be very careful with somebody who makes it sound like you've gotten the free lunch. This free lunch can cause a lot of indigestion. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us today. And don't forget to check out Clark.com's other podcast, The Empowerment Zone. Join our executive producer, Kim, as she shares stories that will inspire and empower you. Learn more at Clark.com slash empowerment zone. I have had back surgery long ago and I know the strain of reaching down and lifting things and dealing with the weight of things and how that'll wear on you after a while. Well, the, for years, there's been talk about people being able in a job that there's a lot of lifting, being able to be part person, part machine, and now that concept, sounds sci-fi, is in a real-time test at Lowe's. Lowe's is using what are referred to as exoskeletons. That employees wear and they become essentially an extension of you and give you, well, not quite superhuman strength, but make a big difference in your day. If you've seen any of the pictures online of this, it's wow, uh, well, it looks a little like out of a low-budget sci-fi movie. But there's nothing sci-fi about it in that it allows the people doing work that can involve heavy lifting to protect their bodies and have much more strength. I think about the mostly men, sometimes women, who deliver appliances. And I think about how terrible that is for their bodies And how great it's going to be as this kind of technology improves, where an appliance delivery person will be able to wear one of these outer skins, if you will, and let the skin do the lifting instead of them. Think about people delivering furniture. What a strenuous job. And how likely you are to get hurt. In high school, for a while I worked on a furniture delivery truck. I hated delivering a sleeper sofa. Oh, did I hate delivering the sleeper sofas. Heavy furniture is the bane of my existence now. Probably from what I did as a teenager. And so I I love the idea... That Lowe's and others are putting money into figuring out ways to make people much safer in those kind of jobs. And what a wonderful benefit for humanity is these things get to where they really, really work and make a difference. But we got to pop one of these pictures up on Clark.com because creepy looking. Jenna joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Clark. How are you doing?
5: I am so excited to talk to you. I already feel a sense of relief coming over me.
1: (laughs) Well, that is so sweet of you to say. Let's hope that I live up to that billing.
5: Okay. So, my initial question, I think, is, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to maybe negotiate with my credit card companies to see if I can pay off. My balance is for possibly, you know, less than what's on there. But from what I understand, that typically is only successful if you're in a negative standing, of course. You know, you're behind on your payments and whatever, which I am not. I just have a lot of debt, um, but I'm great standing. Otherwise, my ratio is just really high. I have about 16000 in credit cards. And, um, you know, the 500 or so in monthly payments that I make among them is getting Difficult to manage. I'm not able to get anything paid off. I can't save. Soon I'm going to have to start paying on my student loans, and I'm feeling the pressure.
1: <laughs> I can understand completely. So yeah. there's a, a lot of debt when you look at what the minimums are just to maintain where you are. Can I ask you, please, yeah. Jenna, what kind of annual income do you have?
5: I have about 38000
1: So you are, you're an... A hot spot there because when you have just the credit card debt alone is nearly half your income yep when you cross half it's like the past the point of no return so you're like right on the edge and then you tell me you got student loans how much are they
5: I'll have about 60000 in federal loans that once I graduate, yeah, I know, once I graduate, um, I'm trying to space out my graduation so that I can try to get my credit cards under control before I graduate, um, but I figure probably around fall of 2017, I'll be starting to need to look into that, and I figure depending on what, what option I take, um, it'll probably be between three and 600 a month.
1: Well, actually, um, here's the good news.
5: Okay. If
1: you're sitting with Very little disposable income, which right now you don't have much disposable income. You finish school, and are all your loans federal? Yeah. So when you have all federal loans, you'll be eligible when you graduate under a payment plan called pay as you earn. And so with that level of debt and the other obligations you have, you'll be considered to be current on your student loans, paying almost nothing or maybe even nothing, and you'll still be considered to be current.
2: Well, that's good,
5: because even if I do that for, like, the first year or two until I can get the credit card, you know, eliminated, then I can start putting it all to that. Um, in the meantime, any extra money I have now, if you want to call it that, I'm getting frustrated because I can't put it to the credit card, so I'm trying to pay for school out of pocket now that I've maxed out my federal loans, and I am completely resisting taking out any personal loans for the school because of my situation, but... Um, so, you know, that's frustrating.
1: Well, I but. think I think you are the best candidate I've talked to in a couple of months to go have a visit with the National Foundation for Credit Counseling.
5: I have done that, Clark.
1: What happened so, when you went to NFCC? So
5: I have, yeah, I have been looking into my options. Um, so when I went there and we talked about the debt management program, sounds great. I can completely accept the closing of the cards and whatever, that's fine but the payment that they offered me was not really much less than what I paid now, so I was a little taken back by that. Except the
1: difference with the payment that they would have you make is that it's a straight line to being out of debt in how many, is it uh, 60 months?
5: They they offered me four and a half years. I wonder if there was an option to do something longer if i could you know get a lower payment i don't know if they offered it i didn't ask at the time
1: well i think i think that when i hear you say that the debt pile is not reducing at all then that's like an infinity debt pile so the idea of going through a debt management plan with the nfcc where there's a specific goal and every month you move closer to achieving that goal and so, what if it is four and a half years or five years? You go from the debt you have now, the sixteen thousand, to zero.
5: I totally support that, um, and I was about to do it. My my concern is that we are trying to either—I know you're going to laugh at this—buy a house because we need to move. We would do it under an FHA with like probably terribly low down payment, but. Um, Besides that, if we didn't buy a house, we will probably be moving it to a different apartment. My concern with the debt management, with that being reflected, obviously I know that would be a no-go for the mortgage situation.
1: Well, with the level of debt you have, even an FHA loan is going to be with your debt ratios. I don't think they're going to want to make you a loan, and if they They
5: did... we had been pre-approved last year for up to 200000 Not that we would have accepted that, but...
1: But even, even with the pre-approval, that's different than going through the full underwriting.
5: That's true. And
1: sure. I, I think that, that this would be a better time for you to rent than it would be to take on the obligation of a home.
5: How does being in the debt management and have that on your credit reflect... It
1: freezes you.
5: Well, right, but what I'm saying is when they if the apartment does a background investigation and then sometimes they do the credit report, is that going to negatively affect me being able to get an apartment?
1: It is possible. Okay. I don't want to no. say that's not possible, but sure. I, I want you to be on a path where you're on a trend line where that debt's going down. Sure. And right now you don't have that, that path. You don't have a map that takes you there. And I want you to get there because when you talk about two years from now, you're going to graduate and you're going to have 60,000 in federal student loans, That's, that's four times almost what you have in this credit card debt, and the credit card debt is not manageable right now. So I know that the path that NFCC offered you is not easy, but I really think that is the right path. And I think you should pursue that. Sign up for the plan. Take the medicine. Six months from now, you'll already feel much better because you'll see that debt steadily moving down from that sixteen grand, which is ultimately the goal. And buying a home is a great goal for you to look towards. I just don't think it's what you should be doing right now while you're pursuing your graduate degree. Omar is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Omar. Hi, Clark. Congratulations on getting married.
6: Uh, thanks a lot.
1: How can I be of service to you?
6: Um, so I'm looking around the internet, and there's a lot of literature for managing finances, uh, you know, paying for the wedding, and, and reconciling differences, once you're married, and God forbid, you know, finances once you get divorced. But I haven't really seen anything around that initial flashpoint, like. Those things that a couple should do the day after the wedding, and some things that I think just immediately, just you know, whose 401k do you max out? Do you whose whose health insurance plan do you consolidate to really get that synergy, those synergy savings right off the bat? Um, that is a, that, was,
1: that is a phenomenal question. I don't think I've ever been asked. That's no, really neat. That. Okay, so. As far as as how you combine things and what you do, can I ask your approximate ages as a couple?
6: Uh, we're both 27.
1: Okay, so you've been out and about for a while, each on your own. So uh,
6: I have, yeah.
1: So what I like is I like the idea of his account, her account, and the house account. So you're both working? Yes. So when you're both working you come up with a budget that each of you contribute to each month, and whatever ratio you feel is right, one makes more money than the other, you might have one of you contributing more to the house account than the other. That's just something for you to discuss. But you have a house account to pay the common bills, the rent or mortgage, um, utilities, Internet service, whatever things there are that you have for running a joint house sure but then things like the 401k that kind of stuff i like uh, particularly when people get married at your age or later that you each are responsible for contributing to your own retirement accounts
6: can i can i ask why that is versus the alternative of having the person that gets for example the larger employer match do it if if the plans are the same, or or, or maybe consolidating insurance plans. Well, see, I would want
1: each of you contributing as a minimum up to the employer match. Okay. So you pick up both matches. Okay. Rather than one or the other, because the match is free money. The match is like the greatest thing ever. Sure. Because it's like a free built-in pay raise. Sure. So if each of you out of your paychecks is putting in at least enough to get the match, then you take that off the table.
6: Okay. Well, and then is it, is am I wrong in thinking that with the health insurance plan is it is it ever as easy as just saying who has the cheaper plan?
1: Well, it's actually more who has the better plan cuz the premiums aren't as important when you have employer provided health care as the level of coverage is in the plan. Sure. And if um, and if you think your wife might stop working for a while after maybe having a child or children, then it would tend to be better to keep your plan going and not hers.
6: And I guess maybe my my final concern, kind of looping back to your first point about the shared shared household account for household expenses, do banks typically offer... Uh, say, debit cards or, or things like that where you can share one account and set limits, or would it really require having three separate checking accounts?
1: I think it's much better to have the three separate, particularly when two people are getting together and their attitudes about money, about you know what, what you like to spend money on, what she likes to spend money on, they could be different. You don't want to get in a thing where you're judgmental with each other. So if you're right. both funding the household account then what you do with your own accounts is each of your own decision making so you don't get in a power struggle, especially early in a marriage with disagreements about money. You know, Disagreements about money are one of the biggest things that eat at a relationship, and that's why I like for people to do the his, the hers, and the theirs as a way of allocating money. When you have a question for me on The Clark Howard Show, go to clark.com slash ask. And, Joel, who do we have an Ask Clark from? Yeah, Clark, this one's from Stephanie, who says, should I make all necessary repairs on my used car before I trade it in, or is that wasted money because I won't get it back? Stephanie, first, you have a beautiful name, since that's my middle child's name. But as far as whether you treat the car as ugly or not, the key is remaining value. If the car is a very old used car, and the cost of the repairs exceed the remaining value of the vehicle, you do not repair it. Because you're, you're just throwing good money after bad at that point, and you take what you can get for it as basically, uh, at that point, a junk car that somebody may take as trade to crush or for parts. On the other hand, if it is a newer car that still has meaningful remaining value It is a much better idea to do the repairs that the vehicle needs and then trade it in. Because just like with your home, if you were selling a home and that home needed a lot of repairs, a buyer, if you tell them they're buying it as is, you're not going to fix whatever it is, and the offer they make to you, they will discount the value of your home by a substantial amount beyond what those repairs would have cost you to do yourself. When you trade in a car, a similar kind of scenario, you want to trade in a car that you don't have to apologize for, getting more value for it than you would get otherwise. And that is, it's important that you go to, as an example, edmunds.com, kellybluebook.com, which is abbreviated kbb.com, and build an approximate value on your vehicle, what it seems to be worth, to be able to determine the value of the vehicle versus the repairs that will help you make the right decision for your wallet. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show and we'll be right back. I'm so glad you've taken the time to tune in today to The Clark Howard Show because this show is your show. I want to empower you with knowledge so that you can keep more of what you make. Every day I give advice, guidance, and opinions on so many different topics in answer to your questions. And there are times that you feel, I haven't done a good job, that I get a failing grade for what I've done. And I need that feedback. I need to know where I'm missing the mark, where I have blind spots, and where I may have disappointed you. And so that's why we have Clark Stinks. It's uh, area at clark.com where you can go post when you're steaming at me or disappointed in me, or you feel like I'm giving bad information, and other people can read it, they can comment on it, whatever. And then each week, our producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks, and she reads them here on the air.
7: I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself.
8: Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong.
6: Maybe you're right, pal.
8: You ready to get slammed, man?
1: I, you know, I actually enjoy this.
8: I know you do. <laughs> okay. I uh, love Clark's show, and I'm very grateful for all the financial advice, but I think he forgot to take a shower I just listened to a show in which Clark used some of the strongest and most offensive language I've ever heard him use when referring to the recent London terror attacks, calling them sleazoids. He then used the exact same word to refer to people using ringless voicemail as another tool to attempt to legitimately contact consumers that they have business with. I work for a company that provides call center software used in many collection agencies, and I recognize that there are a lot of shady practices that go on in the world of collections. There are also many, many hardworking, honest Americans who work in this industry. These are great people trying to make a living in a tough field, and they have a legitimate right to try to collect what is owed. You have some valid complaints about the industry, and consumers should be protected to a degree, but you really need to tone down the foul language, sleazoid, and avoid making blanket statements.
1: I appreciate that, and there's no equivalence between the actions of evildoers, terrorists, that would mow down innocents, and people who use despicable tactics as debt collectors. Now, on the issue of debt collectors, and you're right, and I apologize for that being I think in the same hour of a show, there are many people who do a very tough job in debt collection that are perfectly decent people and are following the law. Unfortunately, there are also others that look for every advantage, both legal and illegal, and are sleazy in the industry, but most people are just doing a tough job as best they can.
8: Clark, we're all human, but come on. Clark, you rave about your guides at Clark.com, and I have enjoyed reading many until I wanted to know more about HSAs. Although I appreciate the information that was relevant six to seven years ago, the many broken links sending me to Team Clark's customer no service, I think it's time to dust off this topic and give it a fresh coat of paint. Stay healthy and keep up the great advice, Mark. And I'll take that one, Mark, because that's my job, and we're going to make sure we update that SH- HSA guide if it doesn't have relevant information. And, and
1: Mark, no, I take, the, I take the blame for that, Krista. No way. Yep, the buck stops with me. I take responsibility. Because the HSA thing is something that, you know, I'm a huge fan of them for the right individual, and it's also pretty complicated. And then for us to have broken links... That's not okay, so we will fix that. We're going to fix it.
8: First, let me say that I do not think Clark stinks, LOL, as much as he just doesn't know everything i went to my costco (laughs) and asked where i could refill my printer ink tank after hearing clark talk about it they told me that they do not do that and only some of their stores do our store is fairly new she said they are phasing out of doing that since it's done in the photo department and they will be getting rid of photo departments in their stores in the future just an fyi for everyone your store may not have this service but if it doesn't don't wait too long if it does don't wait too long happy saving tracy s
1: Thank you, Tracy. All right, so it's complicated. Costco had made a decision to get rid of photo departments and had been uh, dumping them, and now, due to uh, member demand, has been bringing them back to some of their locations. So they, even among the store employees, there may be confusion what's happening. So photo used to be such a big thing, it's become a smaller one, but they're... Are trying in cities where they have a bunch of stores to still have a couple of locations or so they have photo if they have photo they will likely have cartridge refilling but i'm sorry i sent you on a wasted trip i hope you bought some inexpensive gasoline at the costco gas station (laughs) to make up for the gas i wasted for you going to the store
8: I love your show, Clark, and the advice that you give, but your recent comment on downloading offline Google Maps only on an Android phone or tablet is simply not true. The feature to download offline maps for anywhere in the world is indeed possible with Google Maps on the iPhone. Each stored offline map is good for the 30, day, for 30 days, and you can download multiple vo- locations. P.S. Not all iPhones are overpriced. I bought a 6 Plus with a broken screen for dirt cheap and replaced the screen myself for $35.
1: love that you know it's one of the things that's happening in the iPhone market is that people who want iOS want the Apple operating system want an iPhone but don't want to spend a thousand dollars on one are buying two versions back typically so wherever they are in the number sequence they're buying two prior buying them maybe used a little damaged, buying them refurbished and buying one at a decent price.
8: USAA. Clark, you still fail to tell your listeners that if you are a dependent of a former military member, that the only products the dependent is eligible to use from USAA is what the military member used. For instance, if they use the auto insurance, then the dependent qualifies for the auto insurance. If the military member did not, then the dependent does not get to use that product. This holds true for all of USAA's products. I have been told for 10 years now that this is USAA's policy. Please state this when you're salivating over how great USAA is for a company. Nick H. from St. John's, Michigan. Nick,
1: thank you for that. And I want to tell you that we just reviewed the USAA member guidelines, and it didn't read like that. A USAA member who is military or a military retiree, former service, DD-214 holder, if they're a member and they buy insurance products from USAA, as I read the USAA member policy, then the dependent can also buy insurance products from them like auto and homeowners. But if you're saying that If, let's say, a military member had auto but not homeowner, you could only buy auto but you couldn't buy homeowner or whatever, we'll have to check with them on that because that's not what they're saying in their member guideline.
8: Clark, you're generally a fountain of wisdom, but your fountain caught a stinky air bubble. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) A caller asked you for your opinion on devices that share your driving habits with your auto insurer. You correctly advised that based primarily on the frequency of fast stops and starts, the device can save money for conservative drivers. But when the caller asked whether participating in such a program could harm her, you said that it wouldn't at this point. That's not always true. It varies by insurer and by state. For example, with Progressive Snapshot program in Florida, according to their website, the program can result in a discount or a surcharge if you signed up in 2016 or later. And if you start using the program, you only have 45 days to change your mind. Once that's up, if you find the device is beeping at you for bad behavior too often, it's too late opting out will automatically forfeit your discount and apply the maximum surcharge until further notice. Now, that was just Florida. In New York, for example, Progressive's device can only help you. It cannot hurt you. And other insurers may have different rules entirely. The bottom line is that you have to read the fine print carefully before signing up for any of these programs to determine what risk there is, if any, and whether it's acceptable to you. Mark in Florida.
1: Mark, thank you for your research. And I had not heard of any of these devices that were leading people to higher prices as well as lower. The pitch to get people to use them was that it could only save you money, at least that was the initial pitch. And you've given me very important information that, at least in the state of Florida with Progressive, can lead to a surcharge. Yuck.
8: Clark's stance on debit cards stinks. I was listening to the podcast, and for the last caller, you said that debit cards don't offer the same protection as credit cards. You've said this multiple times in the past, calling them fake visas and fake MasterCards. It's true that if you have problems with your debit card, you may not have access to your money for a couple of days, while with a credit card, that's not an issue. But according to Visa's own website, quote, When you sign for purchases, Visa debit card security protections help prevent fraud. Visa's zero liability policy protects you from unauthorized charges. Any funds taken from your account due to fraudulent use will will be returned to your card. People are much more likely to overspend with a credit card, in my opinion. If someone has concerns over fraudulent activity with a debit card, I recommend they have a separate account associated with the debit card with only the amount of money they plan on spending in that account. Even with your stinky stance on debit cards, I still love your show, Anthony.
1: Anthony, appreciate that. All right, so... Everything you said was absolutely true, and I loved your recommendation at the end about having a separate account cordoned off so that you don't have much exposure. But the other part of it that is why I call them the piece of trash, fake Visa, fake MasterCard, is that you have none of the purchase protections with a debit card that you have with a credit card. If a retailer doesn't send you merchandise, you order online or somebody you pay for something in advance, they go out of business before the day comes, you're going to have the service, whatever it is, you're out the money on a debit card, but under the regulations governing credit cards, federal law, you have your money restored to you. Failure to deliver goods and services or dispute about the goods and services you receive, that is protected with credit card law and regulation not protected with a debit card. Even if you try to clear it as a credit card, you still don't get those credit card legal protections.
8: For an economist, Clark stinks at spotting trends. Wow, I'm an economist now? The uptick in kids and young adults calling in hasn't gotten the recognition as a trend that it deserves on this show. Obviously, more kids are trying to be money smart and looking for help. Many of these kids say they are homeschooled. It's great that parents can add practical math and money math into lessons, but you're missing an opportunity to serve that obviously growing segment. Could you please throw out some sites and ideas to assist those kids and parents in teaching financial literacy, especially sources for multiple levels of financial education, not just beginner, would be very welcomed. I'll start off the list with the stock market game, an online virtual investment challenge. We'll be listening to the podcast with my kids. Can't wait to hear what you will add. Signed, another homeschool parent with money-savvy kids. P.S. Thanks for hosting a great and always family-friendly show.
1: Thank you for that, and that is a great suggestion. We did back, um, gosh, I guess 15 years ago to about 10 years ago, we worked on a lot of curriculum specifically geared towards people who were teenagers and preteens, and more lately our big emphasis has been on content for people 18 to 34, and we have uh, interactive video instruction that's free, and we have a number of things specifically divided by topic for people in that older segment. And so that is a great suggestion to put content together for people that are younger than eighteen. And I don't know exactly how how would we pull that out. And off, maybe Krista? for teachers
8: too. We'll talk we'll figure it out with Team Clark. We have an awesome digital team and we'll we'll definitely definitely work on that. Okay. I think that's all we have time for because the other posts I have are pretty long. So I'll have to wait until next week. <laughs> I want to hear how
1: I'm wrong, how you think I'm wrong. Go to Clark.com. Go to our Clark Stink section. Post where you feel I have let you down. Let me know. Nick is with us. Nick. Hello. Has your wife suddenly become really, really, really rich?
6: Yes, sir. He, she sure did. $2,700 worth.
1: 2700 <laughs> Yeah. How did your wife come into this $2,700?
6: Well, she got a confidential letter from a company for a uh, secret shopper really yeah sounds real good
1: What has your wife done with the twenty seven hundred dollar check she's holding it all right and your wife is free to hold it shred it uh put it up on her mirror whatever she wants to do with it but i can tell you one thing it's not is legit
6: it's not what well, it says it's a brand name company
1: bank doesn't mean anything oh. it is a hundred percent counterfeit
6: too bad i already spent the money
1: (laughs) you're teasing me of course i am you knew that was bogus i wanted to confirm it i thought you did you want me to okay i'm sorry i really didn't i really didn't do my job here let me do something fun (laughs) that's what you wanted to hear wasn't it i got it man nick i'm sorry i didn't do that up front but no is a new wrinkle on basically an old scam with the phony checks.
6: But it looks so real it's hard Yeah,
1: to... and and it and the thing is because of laser laser printers and all right. that and yeah. desktop publishing, they can make any check look completely real. It could even be a real account and yeah. but just a counterfeit check against it. But what happens is let's say your wife deposits it. Right. It will clear. And then these people are going to try to get your wife to wire them back Somewhere probably 1500 1700 bucks. I'll say the rest of it is hers to keep. Right. Oh, did they tell her something like that?
6: Well, they said I have to call this number for instructions.
1: And the instructions would be about sending the wire. You wire the money to whoever outside the United States, and that money's gone, gone, 1500 or whatever number, and then eventually the bank comes back to you that your wife deposited the money in, and they say, where's our... Mm $2,700. yeah, And so that is how the scam works. And I'm so glad you knew there was a rat there because there really was.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: So glad you're joining us here on The Clark Howard Show, where our whole goal is to empower you with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. That's right. I want that money in your pocket. Clark.com is our web address. You want to look for deals? ClarkDeals.com. Here's a deal for you. How about free TV? No monthly fee for anything. You know, you can get most people in most places in America, except in rural areas, can get local channels free and get far more local channels than you even knew existed with a simple antenna. You can go to a website called tvfool.com. Again, tvfool.com. Put in your address, and it'll show you, based on where you live, if you can get channels with just one of those very simple antennas um, that'll sit on top of your TV, or whether you need one that is in your attic, or whether you need one on your roof. Now, I put in my address, and almost every local channel I can get with just an antenna on my TV. There are a fair number more I can get with an antenna on the roof. There are only, I mean, in the attic. Let me see, one, two, three. I can get like, gosh, there's so many channels I can get with just an antenna above the TV, tiny amount more with one in the attic, only two channels out of dozens available where I live, do I need an antenna on the roof? And I don't even know what those two channels are, never heard of them. But the thing is, these antennas that you put with the TV, you can buy just about anywhere But Joel, being cheaper than anybody I know, believes you can get a better picture doing what? So there are YouTube videos of plenty of people making their own antennas. Uh, And so you can go on Amazon if you want and just buy a $40 antenna that'll serve your purposes. Or go to one of the warehouse clubs and spend a lot less than that. That too. Or you can go to YouTube and see how people are making their own antennas with coat hangers and uh, putting them in their attics, and they're getting better reception with those antennas that are homemade than with a store-bought antenna. (laughs) I haven't done it, but I I know friends that have. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, one of the things I, I alluded to it earlier, with local television broadcasters were given up to five signals so you're used to on satellite or cable only getting one signal for each channel but there's you know the one point the let's say the 5.1 5.2 5.3 5.4 5.5 each one they're allowed to send you multiples and If you have an antenna or one of these that you can see how to make on YouTube, you will get a wide array of programming you didn't even know was there. And you pay no monthly fee, but the best part is if you get a good signal where you live, you're going to get a better picture, vastly superior picture, with the coat hangers than you're going to get from the cable company or the satellite company because they compress the signal before you get it you get the full meal deal when you get it with an antenna you put in your tv or in your attic phyllis is with us on the clark howard show hi phyllis
2: how are you doing I'm fine, Clark. It's so nice to talk to you. I miss you dreadfully. It's because our local radio station was bought a long time ago by NPR, and I, I don't really have a way of hearing you anymore. And I'm lost sometimes.
1: So NPR buys the station, they immediately dump me, right?
2: Well, and not you. It seems everybody. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I know. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. You know. I know. Listen, I have a question for you. I've been wanting to do this for a while, but I'm getting set to do it. Um, do you still recommend Zenny optical because you used
7: to?
1: Oh yeah, I have. Uh, I have Zenny glasses myself. Good. And okay. And they are they are very cheap. I have one pair. In fact, I'm wearing the pair right now. I got at Costco because through the studio I have a vision benefit, uh-huh. and so I'm allowed one bargain pair of price price pair of glasses per year from Costco. But I'm kind of klutzy, and so I have backup glasses, and those are Zennies, and I wear um, progressive lenses. You know what those are? Yes. Yep. So yep. I wear progressives, and progressives usually are pretty expensive. But my Zeni Progressives were $31. Frames yeah, Lens is complete.
2: Yeah, I had, um, what's it called, a cataract surgery. So I really only need glasses. Thank goodness. I, after many, many years, I don't have to wear glasses, but I need them to read. So I'm going to read you know, a book with small print. So uh, what, I, what I do, is like being klutzy also, but it's convenience too, I like to have two or three pair, one in the kitchen, one in the bedroom, and one in the job.
1: <laughs> well, I, ha- I had a TV producer who would leave her glasses everywhere, and so she, every time her prescription changes, Patty gets eight pair of Zennies. Good and she needs single vision, so she waits till they're on special and she gets eight pair for a total of under a hundred dollars. Wow,
2: that's amazing, isn't
1: it? And so they become more sophisticated. And I think Warby Parker had something to do with Zenny becoming more sophisticated about how they sell, where I don't know if you've heard of Warby Parker, but no. they're a, they're an upscale type of eyeglass seller that has really caught on. And Zenny is the other end of the price spectrum. And so they now have a thing where you can download your own picture to their website and try different frames on your face.
2: Oh, I think I saw that when I was on the computer this morning. There's some, some some sort of a thing. But I'm not that great with a computer.
1: But well, we, we do get complaints about Zenny from time to time, apparently. that I've never had a problem, but if you have a problem, apparently there's no customer service at all. And there are other sellers of these inexpensive uh, frames, lenses, complete deals on the Internet. Another big one is Goggles for You, and they're a a big player. And then there are a number of smaller ones that if you just do a search with Google or Bing or DuckDuckGo and you say cheap eyeglasses, you'll see all the different vendors selling cheap prescription glasses today. But again, Zenny is the giant of the business brian is with us on the clark howard show hi brian how are you doing i'm good Uh, good to talk to you clark well great to have you here how can i serve you
7: well i've been i'm a general contractor and i'm been doing some research on uh flipping and of course there's several shows on tv about flipping and in fact one of those shows um they the people that do the flips go around the country teaching other people how to flips but the seminars are extremely expensive and uh, uh, you mentioned flipping on your own website on two different places and uh,
1: I've mentioned it more than that over the years now um, you as a general contractor you know how to do the repairs to a sad house yourself right you are in the catbird seat to make money buying distressed properties
7: well my, my main question as far as getting into it is I've heard many, many places that, uh, you know, purchasing the house without using your, you know, quote-unquote, without using your own money, Uh, you can go to these seminars, you know, and find the answer to that for thousands of dollars to pay for the seminar. Yeah, but that's baloney.
1: Let me tell you how someone like you is able to make money either buying houses that are all beat up and Mm -hmm. fixing them up and renting them out or buying beat-up houses, fixing them up, and flipping them. Mm -hmm. In your case, there are people who are dying to to invest because they can't earn anything on their savings right now. And so there are a number of deals going on where an individual with money says, okay, I want to go into partnership with you, Brian. I'll put up the money, and you and I will split the profits after you've fixed up the place and sell it i mean that's the reality is that you have a unique set of skills that in an era where all the talk about being able to buy properties no money down that all ended like eight or nine years ago Mm -hmm. when the mortgage bust occurred so today it's all partnerships that allow you to do that so you need to think about all the people you know And if you really think through, there are going to be people you do know who have money who would like to turn it into more money and go to them with your business plan about buying the beat-up homes and fixing them up.
7: Okay. Is there a way I could go about finding investors that, that aren't someone that I know?
1: Yes. What I suggest is that you look for local real estate investor clubs where you live. And there are, these investor clubs are all over the country and they usually meet once a month and people are all sharing ideas about how they're making money as landlords or investors or rehabbing houses or whatever it is. And so if you don't have a circle of people, then what you do, go out and find properties that you think you can turn, that you can take things that look really awful and fix them up, what it would cost you to fix them up. Come up with a sheet showing what the purchase price would be, what the repair costs would be, how you fit in it, and then what they'd be worth after you rehab them. And you go with that stuff to a monthly investor club meeting, real estate investor club. And you make your pitch. You meet people. You talk about it. You sh- You have some people that won't really be interested others that will you take them out you show them the type of properties you're interested in buying and you build that relationship where you win and they win it's i'm talking about you doing some serious effort and work don't bother with any of those uh high cost seminars dare to be rich seminars that's money that would be better used making money on property sandra is with us hi sandra welcome to the clark howard show Sandra, you have a question for me about establishing credit. Is that true? That is true. What's the story?
0: Well, my son is 21. Uh, Currently, he is still a college student, but will be graduating in December. So we were researching some various credit cards to get him so he could start establishing credit. And during the research process, it appears that some of the student cards are definitely uh, better than the the non-student cards so my question is uh should we is that correct should we 100 uh, percent get him one before, while he's still technically a student
1: completely the the credit card window for a college student is really on the 21st birthday but before you graduate as a full-time undergraduate student mm-hmm. access to credit is incredibly easy all the normal rules involved with getting credit are waived Because college students tend to be the most profitable of all credit card customers. They tend not to pay a balance in full, run up high interest charges, and virtually never default on the credit cards. Even if they go delinquent, they virtually never default. Mm -hmm. So the banks love giving credit cards to college students. But as a general rule, the best student cards for college students come from credit unions. Okay. They tend to have an interest rate less than half the average of bank-issued college student credit cards, and so they they work just like any other. They're although they're only issued by Visa and Mastercard, okay. and American Express and Discover both offer student programs as well.
0: Okay. And once he graduates in December, I'm assuming it's still okay that he keep that card and continue to yeah
1: they just graduate they they are essentially regular credit cards okay but the the difference is that the underwriting rules that normally somebody let's say somebody has completed college they're in their first job they've never had credit the banks make it nearly impossible to get that first credit card but someone who did it the week before before they graduated while they're still an actively enrolled student they're in without having to demonstrate any income at all great okay so your timing is perfect
2: okay
0: and you said definitely from a credit union versus a any kind of um... well
1: usually no i wouldn't say definitely but i would say usually the college student card programs are superior from the credit unions because the interest rate charged its charge tends to be so much lower and again, college students have trouble paying their balance in full each month, which is why the credit union cards are better. Krista's with us. Hello, Krista. How are you today?
7: Hello, Clark. I'm just fine. Krista, a little hot, but I'm fine.
1: Well, you're looking for a way to make some money investing,
5: huh?
7: Yeah, and, but I want to do it um, with informed knowledge, and I'm just a little concerned about scams out there. And so I, I spent a great deal of time researching binary trading, uh, investing in, in those companies, but I'm not, I'm not convinced yet that...
1: Well, I will some- tell you, I am as opposite the idea of this is where you have the buy-sell kind of thing, and you do frequent trading, and you use uh, programming systems that tell you that based on their formula, their criteria, Mm -hmm. you should hop into this stock for a few minutes and hop out of that one and on like that. Right. I hate that stuff. But that's me. (laughs)
7: Let me
1: tell you, I have lots of reasons why. And this is just me. It's not at all necessarily a scam. It's just not, to me, a, a smart strategy to make money. Because money is made over time being an owner of enterprises and I go completely the opposite way I own for a lifetime index funds where you buy little teeny pieces of pretty much every publicly traded company here and overseas and put money in every month into it like clockwork I don't pay attention to the news I don't pay attention to the economy I just believe over time that capitalist enterprises overall will make money the idea of these buy-sell things, they can be brutal tax-wise unless you own them in a retirement account, is that you are constantly trading in companies on various uh, things that happen in the news or just systems that tell you there's going to be a movement up or down. Not my kind of thing. I am not a trader. I want to be an owner, and my goal is simply to make money. I believe You get a much greater return over time and you sleep better if you just buy the broad market. Thanks again for being here with us today on The Clark Howard Show.